You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Mic check, mic check. Here we go again. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. My name is Dan Johnson. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Like the introduction guy said at the very beginning, guys, we have got another kick-ass podcast for you today, and we're going to be talking with returning guest and freelance writer, Scott Bestel. And like the title of the podcast suggests, we are going to be talking in detail about late season hunting tactics. He's going to share some stories with you about uh, a couple of successful late season hunts. He's, we're going to get into detail about where to hunt, uh, what to look for when you're going into the timber, uh, because a lot changes, but it kind of doesn't. And uh, we kind of relate how there's early season patterns, then the rut and the gun seasons hit, kind of, you know, there's chaos in the timber, and then we get to back to a bed to feed pattern and we although the temperatures changed and the habitats changed a little bit some of the principles that we practice in the very early part of the hunting season we might be able to use at the end of the hunting season so we get into late season hunting tactics we talk about gear we talk about stories we kind of talk about absolutely everything and that's what today's podcast is about before we get into today's podcast, I, I want to let you know that we had a big giveaway planned for this podcast, and I want everybody to know that the winners have been chosen, and they have been reached out to. They have 48 hours to reach back out to me, and the best part is, if your name wasn't called and someone doesn't reply in 30 you know, 38 for 38, 48 hours, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to be looking for uh, another winner. So uh, keep an eye out. The winners have been chosen and the winners are for a lone wolf tree stand, Exodus trail cameras. We got an Ozonics wasp archery and interstate battery gift uh, pack as well. So um, that is what we're giving away. Keep an eye out for that. Congratulations to the winners. And the commercial today is ripcord drop away arrow rest now you guys have heard me talk about this before and i'm going to keep it short and sweet because this i don't when it comes to accuracy on a bow setup i think the drop away rest has a lot to do with it you know obviously practice has a lot to do with it too and, and refining your equipment but a drop away rest and when it's tuned the right way has a lot to do with your your accuracy and i have been using a ripcord drop away rest now for several years several years and i have beat the piss out of it and it has performed flawlessly absolutely every time this year was the first year that i got a new rest on my new bow but previously i was using a ripcord i think for maybe 
the same ripcord, I want to say eight out of 10 years or something like that. So through getting dirt and sand in it, getting water in it, freezing and thawing and just abusing it, uh, it performed flawlessly absolutely every time. It's made in America. It's made by Americans, uh, some pretty kick-ass Americans, if you ask me. And uh, definitely a product that you guys need to be considering if you're looking for the best the best of the best, and that's Ripcord Archery. So uh, be sure you go and visit Ripcord on their website. Take a look at all of the products that they offer. They have a handful of different rests that are out there, and uh, buy one and put it on your bow. It's pretty simple. All right. Let's get into today's podcast with Scott Bestel. All right, on the phone with me again for the, I think, third time now, Mr. Scott Bestel. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing well, Dan. Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, I, I just keep pestering you to let me come back on, and you're <laughs> kind enough to do it. <laughs> uh, it's the opposite, man. I'm just like, hey, let's, you want to you wanna come on again? You want to come on again? And I think uh, by now, you should probably be starting your own podcast. <laughs> I'm not technologically proficient. I'll leave that up to you, you young guys. <laughs> so first question right off the bat, how has your season been thus far? Oh, it's been fun. Yeah, I've had a, I've really had a lot of fun this fall. Um, I just passed a three-year-old here last week, um, and he's a he's a really nice looking buck. And uh, I was sorely tempted. He was would 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 have been my biggest uh, December buck ever, but uh, I just thought, man, he needed another year. So that was a lot of fun. I, I was lucky enough to get a nice one out in Kansas mid-November, and. Um, so anyway, it was, it's, it's been a lot of fun and a couple, and most importantly, some of my, my hunting buddies have, have all tagged nice deer and that always just makes my season when I see my friends, uh, have some success. So yeah, it's been a great fall. I hate to see it come to an end. We've got just about one more week here. So, right. Absolutely. Now you're, you're in Minnesota, right? Correct. Correct. Yep. Okay. So I think in Iowa, our season goes until January 10th and yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of tough because you got the holidays in there uh, as well. You know, you got Christmas and then you got your uh, right. your uh, New Year's holidays and there's always family events going on and whatnot. And uh, I got to learn, I got to find a way to kind of sneak out and uh, do some late season hunting. It's it's a real balancing act, isn't it? Yeah, you do. It's tough squeezing it around the holidays, but yeah. But yeah, even the, the nice thing is that for me anyway, most of the hunting right now is afternoon hunt. So, yeah. you know, if I can sneak away for you know a couple three hours that's all i need whereas of course during the rut you know we, we tend to get a little more selfish right yeah absolutely now I, I definitely want to talk late season strategy tactics have some questions um for you in regards to that but first i want to talk about for the guys who have already tagged out this year and maybe sitting on the couch what should a guy in that situation or scenario be doing to maybe uh benefit for next year's hunting oh yeah oh so a yeah don't sit on the sofa that's bad (laughs) (laughs) bad boy we can do that in february (laughs) no um i tell you what um i this is another another phase of the season i really like um just because it's an excellent time to get kind of a census on what's left out there after gun you know most of the gun seasons are done and and uh so you know you i'm you know even when i'm tagged out i'm running trail cameras i'm scouting i'm glassing fields in the you know in late afternoon um and and that's to me that's really important not only to see what's you know what's happened this year but you're you're forecasting ahead you know one thing that i've learned over the years um is that you know deer tend to repeat patterns kind of annually so you know, you may not see a deer, uh, you may not, it may not see a particular buck on a field until December every year, but you know, if you know, he's there, um, you can kind of keep that in your hip pocket. If you don't, you know, if you don't score during a rut and you see him in a food plot in December, you can go, Hey, you know, I know, I know right where to go after this deer. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing recon constantly. And I mean, if you want to bomb around your areas and do some, you know, scouting, it's, it's an excellent time. If you don't care that you're, you know, about disturbing your deer, um, yeah, you're, it's never too late to start planning for next year. I mean, I never too early. I'm sorry to start planning for next year. And I'm, you know, there's, 
I was driving by one of my farms yesterday and thinking, man, there's a couple spots on there I never got into this year, and I got to get that on my agenda for the next few months. So, yeah, right. don't sit on the couch. Get out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, recon, right? We we talk about the scouting that we we should be doing if we're tagged out. And I have the, I had this random question pop into my head. You know, after the gun season, there's a lot of pressure on the properties. There is the deer are coming off of that rut and coming back into a uh, a pattern similar to the early season, which is that that bed to food and return back to bed pattern. Right. Do you or have you maybe an example of a time where you know you were chasing a deer all year, and you know he got pressured. Uh, through the gun season, he survived. And then maybe you caught back up with him when everything returned back to normal. Every, the timber kind of settled down and all those deer re- were returning to that bed to feed pattern. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this, that's a great question because this is a, in my opinion, this is the time of the year to do that because uh, as a matter of fact, my neighbor just killed a great buck. Um, it was a week ago. Yeah. Just last week he killed it was his biggest bull buck ever. Now, this is a deer we had and uh, had velvet picks of them in the summer. We had a couple pictures of them in hard antler. And then, like they so often do, poof. I mean, he just was like, where did that dude go? We never had a picture of him forever. And when Alan shot him last Tuesday afternoon, that was the first time we laid eyes on him all fall. But he knew he knew where that food was. I mean, that I think those deer, you know, they they kind of memorize and you, this sounds kind of goofy, but you almost got to kind of train them with food plots. Sometimes, um, you know, they have to know that there's going to be food in a certain spot every year. And then at this time of year, when the social stress is a lot reduced, you know, bucks aren't fighting like they're used to. They're, they're, they're more focused on feeding that buck who might've got kicked out by another bigger deer during the fall. Come, will come back to that food source and be like, Hey, I can, I know I can live in, you know, relative peace here and eat. And uh, so, yeah, it's an excellent, and, it's in my opinion, it's an excellent time to get back on a deer that, you know, you may have lost track of, uh, you know, previously. Gotcha. So do you find that the deer in your area, let's say, and I, I want to ask this hypothetically where let's say you were hunting a deer early season on a bed to food pattern, the rut kicks in, then the gun season, it's like basically chaos. And then all of a sudden some deer return back to their normal feeding patterns. Is it, an exact normal feeding pattern, like the, the the buck was using the same trails for every wind direction, or is it is it skewed still just a little bit, but the general area is the same? Yeah, I think. Well, you know, man, if if you could if you could nail down the specifics of when a buck moves and and where where he does it, I wish you'd clue me in on it because it, <laughs> it's a it's a mystery. I mean, even when they're even we're you know, it's funny we talk about terms like bed to food pattern, and we make it sound like deer on a train track. You know mm-hmm. that they're man, here's really a bed, and every day they're going to run out to the food and da da da. And you know, if it was like that, we could you know, kill them. It would be easy. Um, but the fact is, is that you know they they adopt an area that's just that's, um, you know, uh, attractive to them during the winter. And they'll probably have several food sources. And a lot of it depends to me, at least in my area on snow depth. Um, you know, when they, when they, when their travel is limited, um, then they, then they bed closer to feed. They pick a really, you know, uh, high calorie or easy to get food source and they don't, they don't move a whole lot. And then they can be highly predictable. But right now, uh, I don't know what it's like in Iowa right now, but here, We've got almost zero snow, yeah. um, and even on a really cold day when a buck really needs to feed, he's got, you know, he's got a bunch of places he's going to go. So yeah, you're just kind of hunting a, you know, I, I think you got to get in that area, and then you got to, you know, you got to do some scouting through, you know, observation and trail cameras, and then you just got to get lucky sometimes. How how similar do you think early season is compared to the late season? You know, b- much before the rut is there and much after the rut has passed um i think early and late are are very similar um but uh in my opinion late is much more it's i don't know it's weird it's like the best of times and worst of times i love it because deer gotta feed especially bucks i mean they're you know they're wasted down to nothing after chasing does for you know the, the whole fall basically um so they've got to eat um but the problem is is they're traveling with other deer and there's usually a bunch of other deer i mean i 
Uh, and they're, they're hyperwired. I mean, I don't have to tell you that, you know, after they've been pushed around for three months, they, you don't get by with anything. Right. And they're, I mean, man, I got busted by a mature doe the other night. I mean, I had the wind, I had everything and she just looked up in the tree at me and was like, Oh yeah, there's another guy. Let's go ladies. And I mean, <laughs> I, I went from nine deer coming into zero deer anywhere. I mean, it's just, it can go south that fast, you know? Yeah. So it's very, in my opinion, very, it's a very exciting time to hunt, but it's also extremely challenging. That's why I view, man, any deer you can kill this time of year is, is quite a trophy. I I think anyway. Yeah. Now in one of the previous, uh, podcasts, we talked a little bit about cover and how some of that cover from early season into the fall starts to change and the leaves start to drop off and the, the woods become a little thinner, but they are not as thin as they are like right now. You walk in the timber, there's probably no leaves on the trees. How does your hunting, how does that hunting strategy change with no cover in the timber? Yeah. Um, well, it's really interesting. I mean, I think I, I mean, in my experience here, I live in bluff country. I think we talked about that several times. And so I've got some pretty severe Hills here and I find deer gravitating towards South facing slopes just for the thermal, uh, advantage, you know, the, I mean, I've read studies on this where, you know, the ambient temperature of a South facing slope could be 10 to 15 degrees higher than, you know, that of the North facing slope and deer aren't stupid. They know, they figure that out in a hurry. Right. Um, and that's why a lot of times you'll, I've seen this many, many times around here. Um, you go on a, take a drive down the, down one of the valleys and look on a South facing slope and you'll see deer bedded and also up and feeding, you know, in the middle of the day, they don't go far, but I mean, they're, you know, up on their feet, picking away and that, cause that's the time of the day when they can conserve energy. They're not burning a lot of calories, fighting cold. So anyway, the cover is, yeah, it's, it's really important. Um, and this is a time of year when, you know, if you've got cedars or, um, you know, other thick kind of nasty stuff and you put that on a self facing slope and you, you are going to have deer. I mean, that's the stuff that they seek out. It's just blocks the wind. They're just like us, you know, they want to stay warm and out of the wind if they can. Yeah. So in, in regards to cover, uh, you know, there's a ton of information out there of people who basically are hunting food, uh, field edges this time of year. And yep. it's because it's either on a food plot or uh, maybe a picked or unpicked egg field. Is there any, is there, I guess, any benefit for staying off of that and getting in closer to some of these, uh, these real thick bedding areas this time of year? Yeah, you've got to be, I think there's a huge advantage. I think your chances of killing a, a mature buck there are probably better than they are out in the open, uh, unless it's intensely cold. Um, uh, but yeah, I, and I, when I can, I, I sneak in a little bit towards that bedding. You just got to be really careful because the, the deeper the snow and the colder it is in my experience, the closer they bed to food. So you got to be really careful. But you know, that said, um, I've done a lot of public land hunting and a lot of it late season and, uh, and, you know, food source, uh, food sources are not, you know, food plots. They're, you know, acorns and brows and, and stuff like that. And so you just gotta, you know, in that case, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not anywhere near a field edge. I have to scout till I find the, you know, find the available food and then, and then just set up on it. Right. Cause I know, I know you talked about in, in the early season, a podcast that we did, you know, locating these acorn trees, uh, that, that mm-hmm. have dropped, uh, for some of these big wood type, uh, hunting scenarios. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of reverting back to that as far as big woods are concerned, uh, looking for, uh, leftover acorns or, uh, I guess what specifically are you looking for at that point? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anytime you can find good oak stands, I mean, assuming, you know, the problem with oaks, uh, in where I hunt in Northern Wisconsin, the problem with, with oaks is that, you know, everything up there eats, eats acorns, you know, I mean, that's, that's true here, but you just got, I mean, you want something that is an acorn eating machine, a black bear just gorges on them. He absolutely loves them. So yeah, you get a good oak stand. A lot of times by the time this time of year, uh, comes around, you know, they're all cleaned up. So then, then, then it's straight back to browse. I mean, I'm looking for low woody cover, uh, clear cuts, especially young clear cuts. Um, one of my best friends up there is a logger and I, a couple different times I've, I've gone up there and hunted with him and we just go to a logging job and, and we'll just, you know, and a lot of that, mo- I mean, everything we hunt up there is public. It's either state or, or county land and we'll just find a logging job and, and you're going to find deer, especially if it's cold. I mean, Tom says he'll be 
you know, he'll be dropping trees and he'll have, as soon as they hit the ground, he'll have those, you know, nibbling on the boughs on the end. I mean, there's, <laughs> that's yeah. how focused they are on that food. So, yeah. So clear cuts are a huge, huge deal. I mean, deer are, deer are meant to browse. That's what their systems do uh, in the winter. You know, they switch over to, you know, wanting that, that woody browse and that's, that's what they, that's what they love. Yeah, for sure. Now, now we add in, let's say six inches of snow and, you know, it makes, it makes their day much harder going in and trying to locate some of these food sources. What have you noticed in all your years of hunting, uh, maybe like what the deer pattern is in general or deer activity is in general when there is no snow versus ground covering, you know, really good accumulation of snow? Yeah, um, well, it's really interesting. We were talking about this. Just I mentioned my neighbor killing his buck last week, and uh, when he walked into, he killed it on the edge of a bean plot, which we've hunted. Uh, we've hunted exactly two times <laughs> all fall. Um, but he walked into that bean plot, and we had a skiff of snow on the ground. Had been there for three, you know, three four days, and he said there was not a single deer track right. leading into those beans. And that night, he when he shot that buck, he had thirteen deer in bow range. Yeah. So that that tells me that when there's very little snow cover deer can and do go anywhere. And I think they actually like that. I don't think, you know, I mean, when we see these scenarios where there's 30, 40 deer feeding on a pick, you know, a stubble cornfield, I mean, it's exciting for us. We're like, wow, that's the honey bowl. But I really don't think deer like that that much. I don't think they like being crammed up. It's it's like people, you know, we, we go to a cocktail party and if the, you know, if it's elbow to elbow, I mean, the first thing I'm doing is like, honey, got to find the door. You know, (laughs) it's just, it's stressful and they don't like it. And so I think when they've got the advantage of uh, like it is right now, and they've got the advantage of not having much snow, um, they just, I think they kind of, I don't, for lack of a better term, rotate, you know, they may bed in the same general area every day and then just say, Hey, you know, we know there's acorns over here and there's, you know, a pick bean field over here and, you know, and then whatever, where they go that night, uh, could be whimsical, could be wind direction, could be, you know, whatever. I mean, right. Okay. So, but yeah, once, and once you get snow on the ground, it just, the more snow you get, the more it focuses their movement. They just, uh, travel becomes stressful for them. It burns calories and they, you know, they know that for lack of a better word. And they just, they don't travel less. So there, you feel at that point, lots of snow, maybe even some harsh, cold temperatures. They're, they're bedding really close to the food source. Yeah, I and I've <laughs> I've got the deer bumpings in my memory to to prove it. I mean, you know, those are the days where you really have to analyze. Um, and and it's really tough in this country because our deer tend to like to bed high, and so if you come at a and and we've got a lot of egg fields that are down, you know, at the valley bottom, and if you walk in uh, on those valley bottoms and just walk in indiscriminately, you've got deer that are literally watching you from their beds you know, go into a tree stand and you're, you know, obviously you're not killing that deer that night. Cause there's like, well, he's down there. I'm not going there. Right. <laughs> so you have to really consider your approach very, very carefully. Um, you know, in terms of, and you mentioned earlier, the, you know, the no leaf cover thing, you know, so now you not only have to worry about scent and sound, you have to worry about sight. I mean, you can, yeah. you can have a deer watch you walk into your tree from a long ways away right now. Yeah. I remember my, uh, my first run and gun hunt of this entire season, I was setting up and as I'm setting my stand up in the tree, I'm climbing into it, I heard a deer belch and it was, it was close enough. I was, I set up close enough to hear this deer belch, really couldn't see him, but about an hour later, this button buck got stood up out of his bed about 15 yards from where I was where I had set my stand and uh, I was like, I wish I could do that in December because (laughs) I feel I would have, I would have more success, but it's, it's impossible. It it truly is. Well, I'll tell you what, kudos to you. I mean, even if it's a button buck, I mean, you did a great job of setting up quietly because I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing, but yeah. um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky. And, and I do a lot of hanging hunts right now and uh, yeah, you got to, I mean, you really got to think things through. I mean, uh, you know, can I get my steps in quiet? Can I set my sticks up? And I got to bring a stand. I know I can set up really quiet. And, and so it's all, it's all that. And I don't know what your experience is, but my, my impression is that just, 
I don't know if maybe it's they're just jumpier now, but it just seems like sound carries a little better yeah. right now. I mean, yeah. they just, man, they can hear stuff. It's, I had that buck I passed last week, my hand, I had my release. I have, I have a light shooting glove and I have my release on around that. And I'd been clipped to the string cause I hadn't made up my mind yet about this deer. And he was just dawdling, taking his time. And I, my hand was getting so doggone cold. I finally thought I got to blow on my fingers and warm them up a little bit, or I'm not going to be able to shoot this deer even if he comes in. And I, I unclipped from my string and I watched the deer. I'm like, okay, I can get by with this. And I just slowly wrote, raised my hand to my mouth and just gently blew on my fingers. And he, boom, he's just looking my way. Like, <laughs> what was that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How could you hear that? <laughs> yeah. And the older the deer, the the less this time of year like you know in the rut a four-year-old five-year-old buck he's in full rut he may walk right by you and i mean you've seen the videos where guys are trying to stop these deer and they're just drunk right they're just they're right they're walking through the timber like nothing is going to bother them at all and then this time of year you know a mouse farts and then they they're out of the county Oh my gosh. I think sometimes they just spook on principle. You know, they're just like, <laughs> I'm not feeling right about this. I'm just leaving and I don't know what's wrong, but I'm going and I'm going to blow and snort while I go. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't ran hard today. So it's now it's the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just time to put in a, a full bore sprint for a while. <laughs> so, oh dear. so now we have the guys, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about this, you know, some of these strategies, but you know, some guys have some, extra doe tags right and they maybe are just they've already killed their buck in, in, during the rut and they want to fill the freezer this time of year is there mm-hmm. are you hunting does versus bucks different this time of year uh, as opposed to any other time of year um well i'm just uh, i'm a lot more respectful <laughs> because yeah. the does that you thought you could kill so easily in october all of a sudden is not quite so easy right now <laughs> yeah. um but no, I, I mean, I really think, you know, the, the thing, the, one of the reasons I love, uh, I love this time of year so much is it's, it's so simple. I mean, even a moron like me can figure it out. You know, you find the food, <laughs> you figure out the wind and you can get on the deer, you know, it's, yeah. and, and you get on to every deer. I mean, you know, that, that buck, my neighbor shot last week was a 150 inch four-year-old and he was, he was walking in with those like nothing. And, and guess what, you know, they were the ones. Alan said, I mean, those mature does stepped out on those beans and they're looking around like, you know, a time bomb was ready to go off. And that buck who walked in behind him, of course, he's got a dozen, you know, sentinels for him. And he just walked in and started eating like, you know, like a cow. So, um, but no, I, I, so I find bucks and does in the same spots basically. Um, and uh, I, I don't really alter my approach that much. Right. So you mentioned something about you and a a buddy going up to uh, some public land and, and doing, mm-hmm. uh, some late season hunting is your, is your strategy going into a completely new piece of property this time of year, different, uh, maybe let's say like early or, uh, early season or, or even the rut. Like, are you, are you looking for sign like, uh, rubs and scrapes this time of year or what's your strategy maybe going into a completely new piece of property, but during the late season? Yeah. Um, well, I try to isolate, you know, cover types that I think are going to be most productive. And again, um, you know, it's, it's, I I've got a little bit of a, uh, an advantage there because I do have a friend that lives there. And so he knows, you know, where the most recent clear cuts are and where good Oak stands are. Um, but the basic approach is, you know, it's really interesting when I'm hunting at home, I'm basically hunting food sources that I know. And I just kind of lollygag around all day. And when it's about, you know, mid afternoon, I get everything ready and I go out and sit. And when I hunt, you know, unfamiliar territory, it's exhausting this time of year because my hunt itself may only be an hour and a half, two hours, but I'm scouting all day trying to find that spot where, I mean, you know it, you know, you know it when you see it, you walk in there, you're like, oh my, this is where they're eating. You know, <laughs> now I just got to figure out the tree or, the, you know, or the ground blind or however I'm going to set up. Um, but, it, but it can take a lot of walking to find that spot. And this time of year, it's it always, you know, if you've got snow and it's cold, I mean, it's exhausting, you know, uh, you take, you scout for, you know, three, four hours on a cold December morning, and then you sit for a couple at the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, I'm ready to eat and go to bed. <laughs> Are you paying any attention to any yep. scrapes or rubs? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, the, so 
there's been a lot, a lot said and written about, you know, secondary rutting. And, and I, uh, I'm a total believer. I know what happens. Um, I don't count on it, but I tell you what I have, um, you know, it's really interesting. I got a, a great memory of, of this very scenario. Um, I was scouting, uh, it was, this is in Wisconsin and it was a farm that, um, that I hunted for, for many years. And there was a, a newly seeded alfalfa field, by the way, one of the most overlooked late season food sources going, I mean, they, deer will paw through a foot of snow to get to new seeded alfalfa. Um, that's a free tip, by the way, I won't charge you for that one. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I found this new seeded alfalfa field, looked like a helicopter landing field. I'm like, this is the baby I've got to, you know, I've got to set up here. Well, as I'm scouting the edge of the field, I look in the timber and I can see a couple scrapes. I mean, they were right there in the snow. They weren't, you know, 50, 60 yards off the field. And I walked over there, you know, kind of tippy toed. And they were just smoking fresh. I'm like, this, this deer made these like within the last couple of days. So anyway, then it came time to, you know, pick out my stand site. And I'm like, well, I looked at the scrapes. I'm like, that buck's coming to the food. I'm going to set up on the food. So I set up right on the field edge. And you know exactly what he did that night. I watched him <laughs> do it. He paralleled that field edge. He hit both of those scrapes like it was November 1st and walked out of my life. And I, if I had to set up on the scrapes, I'd have killed him you know, easy, not easy. I could have screwed it up, but I mean, he would have been right in my lap, you know? So it's very interesting. I mean, some, you get that buck and who knows what it is, is that, you know, I've, I've talked to guys that said, you know, man, we had a, I watched a young, you know, a yearling doe go running across the field, you know, December 15th. And she had eight bucks behind her. You know, I've heard many guys tell me that story. So, you know, I think it's one of those guys, one of those little gals pops and all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, the rut's back on. Do you, do you ever, let's see, how do I put this? For me, I I make all my decisions because I have a full-time job based off of the rut and historically when I think, you know, from my experience, when I think it's the best time to be in the stand for my vacation. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's, that this, this quote-unquote second rut has enough, you know, enough hold to where guys should maybe consider hunting this mid mid to late part of December into January, as far as the Midwest is concerned. I, I know guys who schedule vacation for, they, they look at peak rut in their area and like, let's say it's November, you know, 8th through the 15th or 10th through the 16th or whatever it is. If they, if they've kind of identified what annual peak breeding dates is, are, they'll be like, I'm doing you know, 30 days later in December, I'm taking, I'm taking four days off, five days off, and I'm just going to hunt, you know? So, uh, for them it's, you know, and it's one of those deals where, you know, Hey, you're not gambling on it. Like you're gambling on peak rut, but if you're, you know, if, if it's happening, you want to be there, you know, and some years, some years in some areas, it doesn't really happen that much. And other years it's nuts. I mean, man, I tell you what, I, one late season hunt here just a few years ago, um, it was cold. I mean, it was perfect conditions, you know, good, plenty of snow, deep cold. And I watched a few does come off this hillside with bucks just going crazy. And then the, the, the big boys came, were coming right at last light and they were on their way coming right to me. And I'm like, this is happening. And they saw each other. And of course, what did they do? They decided it was time to fight over does. And they were still fighting when I left the stand. Yeah. The dark. So, I mean, you, you know, it can be that good, you know? Yeah. I tell you what, I've I've only witnessed a from the tree stand maybe two years uh, a, a sec what you would call a secondary rut where I had like three okay. three days off and I I was able to um, you know watch some rutting activity in mid December in previous years even into okay. into late but I ha- I did definitely notice more times when I do leave my trail cameras out there is a, a little bit of a spike in activity about. Uh, that that mid December uh, range for maybe about three days, if yep. maybe, if some of those does. So hell, maybe it's maybe it's worth guys thinking about doing it. Like maybe that week right before a lot of these gun season starts, th- that in December that you know everybody who wants to go hunt the rut is out out of there. You're not having to deal with right. any other hunters. Hell, right. maybe that's a maybe that's something guys should think about doing. Oh, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's definitely worth considering. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Mark Drury's nephew, Jared Lurk, um, he's had, uh, he's had m- more luck late 
then he has, you know, rut October, September. And I mean, that's kind of when he schedules his vacation. So yeah, I'm totally, totally by that. Yeah, for sure. Now I want to kind of, for just a second, switch over to gear, uh, and talk about some, yep. some gear. Cause obviously it's colder and yep. cold means more layers, man. So what are you doing when you're out there trying to stay warm in some of these sub-zero temperatures? What, what, what are some of the gear changes that you're, uh, that you're using? Um, well, starting at the bottom up, I go, I, I have a pair of boots. that's like a half a size too big for me. <laughs> and, uh, those are my late season hunting boots. And I, and the, I, I think I bought them by accident. And I, I remember wearing and thinking these things are too clunky. And I was, I don't know, knowing me, I was too lazy to go to the return booth, but I hung on to them and, it's amazing. I mean, what, the worst thing you can do, I mean, it's cold, so we want to put on lots of layers, but you put on too many layers and it actually, you know, it works against you. Um, and you, you know, you put on three pairs of socks and stuff them into, stuff your feet into a pair of tight boots and you're going to, your feet are going to get cold no matter what. So I wear like oversized boots. Um, and, uh, I really found lately that, you know, windproof layers are really important. You can, you can reduce a lot of your bulk if you go with stuff that doesn't let the wind penetrate. Yeah. Uh, and I've just, I'm totally focused. Uh, I mean, if, if you, for me, if I forget a hat right now, I'll go, I mean, I'll just go home. I can't, I, so I, I wear up to three hats on my head. I have a layering system <laughs> on my head, you know, <laughs> so I'll walk, I'll walk in with like a light beanie on. And then I'll put a midweight hat on, and then I've got a really big. Um, uh, that's a it's actually a windproof uh, stocking cap from Sitka, and uh, I don't know what do they get for that thing? It's it's not cheap, but I tell you what, that thing is a lifesaver. I mean, it's really warm. So yeah, I'm, and uh, and I've got uh, I don't wear bibs like except any other t- any time of year except now because I can my bibs are kind of loose fitting, and I can get several layers under them. Uh, I'm and so anyway, I go with and I go with you know. Uh, uh, moisture wicking underlayers, you know, that are lightweight, like, you know, under, under armor stuff is really good. Whoa. And then I just, I go layers and, uh, I, I walk light into the stand and then I, I'm, I've got a, I always carry a backpack. And so all my heavy layers, I will just strap to the backpack and then I'll just dress at the base of the tree. Right. Okay. Uh, do you, now I've seen, I've seen some of these devices and I, and I, I've never used them myself. Like, uh, insoles that are warmed or a jacket that is battery operated. That's warm. That warms up. Have you ever done any type of, uh, I guess, product research on any of those type of garments? I, all I've got is hearsay and I, I don't have any experience with them either. Um, just cause they're, you know, they're spendy and I'm cheap and, and I'm also lazy. I've got stuff that, <laughs> that I've used for a long time. I'm like, ah, that's good enough, you know, right. <laughs> but, um, but my butt, my logger buddy, I mean, this, this is a guy that works in sub zero. I mean, man, there was a stretch two years ago where he went to work six. I mean, he, and he's working, he had a big job. So he had seven days a week. He said, he said, I went to work seven days a week for six weeks. And the temp was never above 20 below when I started. Oh, and he, he wears, uh, he swears by, he's got a battery powered vest. Yeah. Uh, and he loves that thing. He said it keeps my core warm and, um, so anyway, I, uh, you know, that, so that's my anecdotal research for you. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I'm a huge wuss when it comes to cold, like this year. Um, I think it, there was days where the high was maybe in the mid to high twenties. So it was below freezing mm-hmm. for, for the entire day. And, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, my body stayed warm, but the first thing that always goes on me is my toes. And no matter how right. many layers of socks I wear or how thick my boots are, but once like once my toes go, I become a little sissy, and I'm just like, oh, maybe I should get down. I, I'm I'm cold, you know. <laughs> I'm texting my buddies like, come pick me up. Right, right. <laughs> yep. So, um, so you know, I have heard. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned feet, but uh, I've. I've done a lot of interviews with a guy from a guide from Washington state and he's in the mountains and they, they kill some great mountain whitetails up there. Some really nice deer and they hunt, uh, he hunts that late season time. And he told me, he said, man, it killed me. Uh, I can't remember what he paid for, uh, for boots with battery, you know, uh, right. heated boots basically. But he said, and he was the same as, uh, same as you, same as me. He says, when my feet go, I'm done. And he said, I just had to find something. And he swears by those boots yeah. that they, you know, they're just lifesavers. So, you know, put them on your Christmas list, I guess. I get, you know, it, 
by me even announcing that, uh, my my street cred goes down, and I you know people are like, that Dan Johnson, he's not as tough as he thinks he is. Uh, I thought he was like a you know an, um, a mixed martial arts guy, but no, he's his feet are no, he's got he's, pansy feet. Yeah, he's just a wuss. <laughs> well, that's a well known fact about me. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're not even trying to hide it, right? No, no, I'm proud of that label. Yeah. <laughs> when you get my age, you can't be macho anymore. You can't fool anybody. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so with like some of these more, you know, additional layers, are you doing anything like as far as continuing to shoot your bow with these additional layers in these cold temps throughout the season an, to, to make sure you're yeah. on point? That's an excellent point. I mean, that. Because it can switch you up, you know. I mean, you get bulky, and you know it's hard to draw. And uh, you know, um, I know a lot of guys who drop bow weight right now. They'll go down, you know, eight ten pounds just to make it easier. Because I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you've been there, but I I have, man. I mean, you sit there for an hour and a half, two hours doing nothing, and all of a sudden you want to draw a sixty seventy pound bow, and it's like, holy cow, who cranked this thing up to a hundred? You know. <laughs> so it's uh. It's worth practicing in the cold, and yeah, um, I mean, that's one thing that I think a lot of hunters, and I, and I know I, I was guilty of it for many years, is, you know, we shoot like crazy all summer long, and as soon as the season opens, we stop, you know, yeah. and I tell you what, if all you do is go out once a week and shoot three arrows just to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm dialed, it does, it does so much for your confidence, you know, right. m- mentally, when you draw on that deer, it's like, you know, did my psyche get bumped, you know, you know, maybe I'm you know, like you said, and with the layer thing, I mean, some, for some guys, just putting a glove on, you know, can screw things up for them. So you got to practice with that stuff. Right. Right. All right. Now I, we're, we're getting close to, to the end and I, I do have a couple more questions, but so I know you're not on Facebook, but yesterday I asked all the listeners or the followers of the nine finger chronicles to ask questions regarding late season. And there's uh-huh. one one that sticks out because I think as bow hunters, especially, we've all kind of been in a scenario like this where we've hunted real hard throughout the entire season and it's now the late season and our brownie points are gone, so to speak, <laughs> with, with the wife or the girl wife or the girlfriend. Right. How do you get a more brownie points or convince them that it's a good idea to go hunting? Well, of course, the first thing you have to do is convince them how, you know, is prove to them how tasty venison is and that they've got to have, you know, you got to have more. That's the no brainer part. But yeah, I don't know, man, you just gotta, you gotta pay really good attention to that Christmas list and make sure that the, you know, the priority items are taken care of. That'll get you, you know, a couple, three sits after Christmas anyway. Um, And then, you know, you can always, if you're wealthier than I, you can, you know, dangle the prospect of a a winter vacation once hunting season ends, you know, to a warmer climate or even, you know, here we've got, I'm not too far from Wisconsin Dells and you can go to a water park with a, you know, indoor water park with a hotel and everything. And I've got one friend that plays that card a lot. Yeah. yeah. So he, he can, he can pull off some late season hunting. <laughs> I, I, when you said <laughs> dangle the, the winter vacation, all I thought is that one uh, insurance commercial with a guy with a big fishing pole dangling a dollar bill uh-huh. in front of the, the girl. <laughs> And then just like, gotcha. <laughs> like basically you, you tell the wife you're, you you want to go, uh, you want to go hunting. She says, okay. But then you re yeah. you, you take back everything you just said. Well, I don't know. I was just joking. I thought you understood that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That's a great question from your, uh, from your audience, by the way. Yeah. Cause we, we are, uh, uh, we are living on borrowed time right now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I want to end with a late, I want you to tell me one of your most memorable late season success stories and kind of walk us through that entire uh, process and, and that harvest. I hope so much that you're going to ask me this question because this is my, one of my favorite deer of all time. Oh, perfect. Um, and I killed, I killed her on the last day of the Iowa. The last time I had a bow tag in Iowa, I killed her on the very last day of the season. And uh, I was hunting public ground in northeast Iowa, and it was cold, cold, cold. I mean, it was just the perfect 
one of the, one of the perfect scenarios. But anyway, so I didn't even know that this food source was there, but I suspected, you know, in some of these, um, in some of the public areas in Iowa, aren't they farmer? They kind of like co-op farm it with the DNR. They, they let a farmer put in food plots and then he, had, he can take out X amount or whatever. Right. And uh, I kind of suspected that this little, there were a couple little fields way up this valley from the parking lot. And I thought one of them might be in there, but uh, in a food plot, but I wasn't sure. But it was the last day. I'm like, I've, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to go try that. And I will hike. So I put on, there was enough snow that I put snowshoes on, um, dressed pretty light, strapped all my warm clothes to my pack. And then I just snowshoed back there. And lo and behold, it was a pick cornfield and there wasn't a ton of deer sign, but it was pretty good. And, um, I had a tree stand with me and I'm like, you know what? I just, it's so cold. I've just wimped out. I'm like, I don't want to hang a tree stand and then have to, you know, hanging yeah. a tree stand in the cold is not bad. It's when the hunt's over and you're like, oh my gosh, now I got to take this thing down. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally wimped out. I stuffed the tree stand in a snowbank, and I just started looking around and I found a brush pile and I just backed up into it, clipped a few things with my, uh, with my pruning shears and I just settled in on my knees and about 20 minutes before dark, I look up the hill and I can see deer coming and I'm like, okay, here we go. They're going to be, I, I mean, the trail I set up on was pretty close and I'm like, I knew I was going to have to be super still and get super lucky. But anyway, long story short, this big old horse head doe led the parade and she came down and when her, when her head was behind a broke, I came to full draw and when she popped out, she was at seven yards. She was so close to me, Dan. I was actually shooting slightly up at her. <laughs> awesome. So I'm on my knees. We're, and she came, she popped out of that, popped off from behind that tree. I was at full draw. She took three steps and boom, she just turned and looked right at me. And I shot her and made a perfect hit. And, uh, and, and I got her and it was, Jan it was January 10th. And uh, I posted pictures of that deer on my blog the next day. And it was so big. The guy goes, I had like three guys go, are you sure that's not a shed buck? And I'm like, Hey, I checked the plumbing. It's not a buck, <laughs> <laughs> but I was just, man, I, it was just so exciting to kill a, a mature doe, which is, you know, right now, I mean, right. there's like a survival Mensa, you know, they're just, they tolerate nothing. They're suspicious of everything. Um, so as a mature doe on my knees in the cold on public land on the very last day, it was just, it was like, wow. I mean, it could have been better with as a booner, but I, I doubt it. That was just, right. that was awesome. <laughs> Dude, that's what makes the story cool though, because I have a feeling that 90% of the guys out there would have given an example of a big buck that they shot. And here is your most memorable moment is basically adapting to a situation and still being successful on public ground. I mean, that's, that's a win right there. Yeah. It felt, you know, it's funny. Cause I mean, I work really hard on, uh, you know, on food plots with my neighbors and my hunting buddies. And, you know, we put up a lot of stands ahead of time and da, 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 da. And, you know, and all that stuff is just really, it's, I mean, it's, it's excellent. And it, there's, no, there's no cheating about it, but it, but it's, it's kind of carefully crafted, you know, and a hunt like that is just, it's like, hunt. this is hunting, you know, <laughs> this is like, I'm walking in here. I got to figure it out. I got one night to figure it out. And here it is. And it was just, man, when it happens, it's just so it was just, I smiled for like a month. I mean, I, I went back to my, the deer was so big. I, I carry a little toboggan in my, um, in my truck. And so I went back there on my snowshoes and I threw that dough on the toboggan and toboggan her out. And it was just, I was just smiling the whole way. It was just so exciting. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, Scott, um, I really appreciate you taking time, uh, over, this entire season to hop on with us and, um, you know, chat with us on the podcast about strategy and, and deer and whatnot. So, so thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. But if the listener wants to find more of your content, as far as, you know, where, you know, where they can find some of your writings or books you've written or magazine articles, where should we send them? Yeah. Um, well, my, my primary, I'm a freelancer, but my primary employer is field and stream magazine. So you can always go on field and uh, and we all, they also have a Facebook page. I'm on there occasionally content for me, but mo I'm more on the website and then, uh, the printed word is my, uh, probably my main forte. So yeah, um, that's where they can find me and, uh, I'd be honored to, you know, you can contact me through the website too. And, you know, we're always happy to answer questions. You know, we've made some great friends that way, but I tell you what, it's been a real honor for me to be on here with you, Dan. I mean, I, you're, 
I'll, you know, I can tell you're like me, you're, you're a hardcore guy and, uh, and, a, a, and also, a, you know, a blue collar guy, like, which is how I view myself. I don't own a pile of land and have a lot of money. I'm just a, I'm just a deer hunter. And I feel like that's the way you are and that's the way your audience is. And it's an honor for me to, you know, fit in with you and your, your, your guys and gals. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Scott. I really appreciate him taking time out of his very busy schedule to come on this little Scott Bestel series, I guess if you want to say it, and talk about the rut. He talked about early season hunting, and now he talked about late season hunting as well. So huge shout out to Scott. Uh, if you get the opportunity, go read some of his uh, writing. It is, it's really good. Also, huge shout out to each and every one of you guys. Again, without you, it's this is not possible. So thank you very much. If you really like what I'm doing, please share, tell your friends, spread the word, grow this, make it better. And uh, I tell you what, I got a lot of stuff planned for the sportsman's nation.com that website. And uh, there's going to be a lot of changes coming in the fall or excuse me, the the spring of 2018. So, huh. Just keep grinding, keep grinding. That's all I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it for you. That was, there's that. Anyway, I blacked out what happened. All right. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast. Wasp, Ozonics, Deer Lab, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, Ripcord, Bighorn Outfitters. I tell you what, I owe these guys a lot as well. And you guys know the deal from the business standpoint. These guys, it's, it's, it's good that I was able to use a majority of these products before partnering with them on a business level, but I am partnered with some truly badass companies that are owned and run by really, really good people. And I think that's the most important thing. And they do give me money and I do rep their products, but it's awesome when I don't have to like lie or, you know, I can... I can tell you exactly what I feel about these products because if I didn't have them as a partner, I would still be using their products. So please, with Christmas around the corner, take advantage of all the discounts that the Nine Finger Chronicles offers. And um, that's through Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Exodus, and Lone Wolf. So please uh, take advantage of that. Get someone that you love some hunting gear or buy some for yourself, a self-gift. And I think that's it, guys. Please, if you haven't already, go to the Sportsman's Nation website. Take a look at it. If you haven't already, go to check out Sportsman's Nation on Instagram and Facebook. Also, Nine Finger Chronicles, Instagram, Facebook. Go to iTunes. Leave a review on the Sportsman's Nation. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not sure if I'm going to be putting out a podcast on Friday. If I do, there it will be. If not... Merry Christmas, everybody. Hopefully you guys get some time to just sit back and relax and enjoy the family. At the end of the day, it's the most important thing, hands down, more important than hunting, fishing, whatever it is that you love about the outdoors, family is more important. And if you can do the outdoors with your family, man, that's just a win-win for everybody. So uh, Merry Christmas. I'll have podcasts coming next week for sure. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. I don't know if anybody else doesn't, you know, I really don't know. Like I'm going to I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to say if you're going to go hunting over the Christmas break, please wear your damn safety harness. Merry Christmas.